It's good to have you guys with us. You can have a seat. Just so you know, next week we will begin our study of the book of Acts, which is what we'll do this fall. It's a really triumphant book. It's an exciting book. I don't know if you've ever read Acts through the grid of a triumph, a victory. Christianity goes from this tiny little group in a backwater town to take over the entire Roman world. It's awesome. So we're going to have a lot of fun in the book of Acts this fall starting next week. I I would encourage you, though, when we begin that study next week, all the students are going to be back. Some of you are already back. But many more are coming. Texas Avenue is already slammed. We can't go anywhere. Um, We need your help next Sunday and the Sundays thereafter. It's going to be a zoo here. And so let me encourage you, please, please plan on showing up at Southwood 15 minutes before service. They get here at least 15 minutes early. That's really the only way you're going to get parking anywhere close. Um, You can get in, you can get your kids checked in, you can find a seat here in the sanctuary and prepare your heart so you're not rushing in last minute. So please plan on being here at least 15 minutes early for the next few weeks. And then really just forever, because that's always a good idea. Okay, (laughs) this week we're going to look at 2 Timothy. So you can turn the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to talk about goals. What are our goals? Individually, as a family, as a church, what are our goals for this fall? This is always a good time of year to talk about goals because many of you are starting school, so you're thinking about the fall ahead. Others of you are, are parents. You're, you're thinking about sending your kids off to school, and so you're thinking about goals for this new school year. What are the goals we should aim at? Julie and I have been thinking a lot about that over the last couple weeks because our life has, has changed dramatically. Last Monday, our kids went off to kindergarten. So both the twins started kindergarten. When all you have is twins, when, that, when that's all you have, then kindergarten is a really dramatic change because you send your oldest and your youngest off to kindergarten at the same time. Everything just changes dramatically in an instant. And just so you know, Gracie is the oldest by one minute, and it's important to her that you know that. Okay, so we sent off both our oldest and our youngest to kindergarten this week, and it was this moment for us to think about, okay, now that we're parents of, of kindergartners, which is crazy to think about, what should our goals be? As individuals, as a family, as a church body, what should our goals be this coming fall? What are the things that we're going to aim for? Now, I I don't know a lot about what this fall holds for us or for you. What I do know is it's going to be busy. Every fall is busy. And so if you don't set goals now, then you're going to wake up in December and look back at the fall and wonder where all your time went. And so we set goals now so that we make sure that we don't waste our precious time doing unimportant things and miss out on the the really essential things in life. There's a story told from the 1800s of two steam-driven paddle boats that left Memphis, Tennessee about the same time, headed down the Mississippi with cargoes that they were going to deliver. And as they're going down the river side by side, the sailors on the top deck begin trash-talking each other about how slow the other boat is. And so a challenge is, is made, and they begin to race. And so they run into the, to the steam room, and they, they throw all the coal into the ovens. They, they stoke the fires, and they put the 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 pedal to the metal, they're just racing down the river. But one of the boats starts falling behind because even though it had enough coal to make its delivery, it didn't have enough coal for a race. And so it's falling behind until one young enterprising sailor thinks to take some of the cargo and throw it into the oven. And it turns out the cargo burns as well as coal and all the other sailors see that. So they start shoveling all the cargo into the ovens. That's plenty of fuel. They're able to catch up and overtake the other boat and win, but they burned all their cargo. The whole reason they were going down the river, they burned it up. Well, I don't want to get to December and realize that I have burned my cargo, wasting my time on unimportant things. 
want to make sure that this fall that I use my, my time to do that which is most important to God and, and to me, to my family, to my church. So this morning we're going to talk about priorities. We're going to use the book of 2 Timothy to help us to see what are the things that God has for us this fall that are most important to him. What are our most important goals for this fall? So 2 Timothy, turn real fast, just a second, to, to chapter 4. Before we start setting our goals, look at this, chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. That's metaphorical language for a really morose thing. Paul knew that he was about to die. Second Timothy is a very unusual book. You see, we have a lot of books that were written by authors who were suffering or were in prison or were in danger, but we have very few books of the Bible that were written by people who knew they were about to die, and Paul was right. Three months after writing this letter, he was beheaded by the Roman authorities. This is actually the last letter we have any record of from Paul. So if you're writing your your last letter before you die, what are you going to write you're not going to waste your time with fluff and chit-chat. You're going to get down to what's most important. You're going to focus on those most essential things, and that's what Paul does. This letter is really Paul pouring out his heart and soul to Timothy, this young man that he had mentored and discipled and raised up. So Paul pours out what's most important, and in our chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, Paul is going to lay out for Timothy the three most important goals he has discovered in life. Timothy, if you want your life to be a success, here's how you do it. And those goals transfer through Timothy to us. If we want to live this fall in a way that is successful, if we want to get to December and look back and say that fall was a success, I did what God wanted me to do, these are the top three goals that we should be focused on. This is what we need to spend our time doing. So let's jump right in to these three goals. They're laid out for us by the three commands in the first three verses of chapter two. So let's jump right in. First goal for us this fall, let us find our strength in God's grace. Look with me in verse one of chapter two. Paul says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong. That that verb in Greek, it's passive. So Paul is actually not saying, make yourself strong. Be strong through your power. He's saying, be strengthened. Be empowered by someone else. Now, that actually says a lot about Christianity right there. Just in one-tenth of one verb. You learn a lot about your faith. You learn that Christianity is not about what you bring to the table. It's not about what you do. It's not about gritting your teeth, setting your jaw, and getting your work done to please God and impress other people. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about what you receive, what you receive from God as a gift. That's the basis of your faith. That's the basis of your value as a person, not what you do to impress God or other people, but what God has done for you, what you receive from God. Okay, so Paul's telling us to to find our strength in what we've received from God, specifically in the grace that is ours through Jesus Christ. Now, grace, that's the word you hear all the time. It's the name of our church, Grace Bible Church. It's a word we use frequently as Christians, but what does it mean? Well, I'll give you a very simple definition. You write this down. Simple definition. Whenever you hear the word grace, what does it mean? It means getting something good you don't deserve. That's what grace is. You get something good you don't deserve. It's a gift with no strings attached. It's something good that you didn't earn. 
You didn't merit it. You don't deserve it. And you're not going to pay it back later. If you have to pay it back later, it's a loan. It's not grace. So grace is getting something good you don't deserve. No strings attached. This grace from God, it's come to us through Jesus Christ. But what specifically is it? What are these good things that we've received from Jesus as a gift of grace? Well, if you start looking in the Bible and and trying to answer the question, what good things in my life have I received from Jesus? You will discover, if you study long enough, that the answer is really simple. Everything. Every single thing without exception that is good in your life, anything in your life that you look at and say, that is good, that came to you from Jesus. You are not the one who created that. Jesus gave that to you. I'll try to prove it to you. I, can ju- I just have time to give you a few verses. We could go on and on. I could spend the whole morning on this. I'll just give you a few. So here's one, John 1, 3. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus is your creator. It is Jesus Christ who made you. And so your life, your existence, your breath, your body, your mind, your soul, your intellect, your talents, your beauty, your, your physical strength, your humor, all of that is a gift from Jesus. He made you the way you are. And so everything good about you as a unique individual, that's all a gift from Jesus. You didn't create yourself. He, he created all of that in you. And so you owe your existence to Jesus as your creator. Second, Romans 3, 23 to 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us all have sinned. All of us have done bad things. We know that. We've not lived up to God's standard of righteousness, but that's okay. Why? Because Jesus has redeemed us from sin. He died in our place so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be justified. That word justified, it means to be declared right in God's sight. It means to be reconciled to God. You and God are okay. There's peace between you and God the Father because of Jesus, because he died for you and rose from the dead. You receive forgiveness and justification as a gift. So in Christianity, salvation is not something you work for. It's not something you earn. It's not something you deserve. It's not something you pay back later. It is completely by grace alone. Salvation is a free gift that Jesus earned for you and now gives you in grace. Okay, so your salvation in this life, it's all from Jesus, but it's not just in this life that Jesus gives you grace. In the next life, he gives you grace. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life, that's life that lasts forever. It's the life after this one that goes on in eternity in heaven when you are with God, your creator, you receive heaven as a gift. You don't earn heaven. You couldn't if you tried. You don't deserve heaven. You don't merit heaven. You don't pay heaven back. It's a gift you receive freely through grace from Jesus. He died in your place and rose from the dead to conquer death for you so that you could live forever in heaven as a gift. And so you look at your life, past, present, future, it's all a gift that you've received from Jesus. We could go on and on. I'll just summarize right here. Here's how James puts it. Chapter one, verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. So everything in your life that you look at and you say, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's all from Jesus. He gave that to you as a gift of grace, not because you deserve it, not because you're going to ever pay him back. It's just his free gift to you. 
And so Paul is telling us that as we go through this life, as, as life gets hard, which it will this semester, at some point life is going to get hard for you. You're going to be discouraged, downtrodden, lonely, stressed, tired. When life gets hard, find your strength in the grace that you have through Jesus. When you need strength, where do you turn? Paul's saying, when, when you need to find strength in life, focus on the grace you've received through Jesus. So life is going to get hard at some point this semester. Life is going to get difficult. And in that moment when life is really difficult, where are you going to turn to find strength? When you're feeling just absolutely depressed, discouraged, stressed out, where are you going to turn to find the strength, the security, the confidence, the, the love that you need to make it through life? Well, the world will tell you to look at yourself. That's the world's answer. You turn inward. You look at how great a person you are. You look at your intellect, your skills, your beauty, your wealth, your relationships, your kids, your family, whatever it is, you look at, at what you bring to the table to give yourself confidence, to make yourself feel good about yourself. Look at what a great person you are. The problem is if you're looking to yourself to find strength to make it through life, you are guaranteed to be disappointed. One of the primary lessons that God's taught me this last year personally, just in my private life, God has been showing me through pain and suffering that I am not nearly as strong as I thought I was. I'm really very weak, very broken, very foolish. And if you think otherwise about yourself, if you think you're strong enough, smart enough, wise enough, popular enough, rich enough to make it through life in your own strength, you just haven't lived long enough. We'll give you more time, and at some point you're going to wake up and see that your life is a mess because you're as broken as all the rest of us. You're as weak as all the rest of us. You're as foolish as all the rest of us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about how God has given us this treasure of Jesus in jars of clay. That's what you are. You are a clay pot. If you've ever planted something in a clay pot, you know how brittle it is, how easily it breaks. I've broken many of them. That's us. We're incredibly breakable. And so if we try to find strength to make it through life in what we bring to the table, we are guaranteed to fail. You have to look outside of yourself at something greater than yourself. That's the grace that Jesus has given you. If you want to have strength to make it through life, you have to focus your attention on the grace Jesus has given you. Let me give you an example. Okay, it's not easy for me to get up here and preach. It never is. I've been doing this now for about eight years, and every time I come up, I feel nervous because that's just what it is to preach. You feel nervous. And so in this moment, where do I go to find strength to do this thing? Well, I don't look at myself, at my intellect, at my skills. They're not enough. They're not going to sustain me. What I look at is the fact that because Jesus died for me and rose from the dead, I'm going to go to heaven after I die, no matter how bad this sermon is. And that gives me huge strength. <laughs> really doesn't matter what you think of me as a preacher. I know I've got heaven coming. That gives me confidence. That gives me joy. That gives me peace in the midst of my fear. Okay, that's how it works in this life. If you want to live this life as God intended, you need to find your strength in what Jesus has already given you. Not in your works, not in your accomplishments, not in your relationships, not in the things you bring to the table because they will always let you down. You find your strength in Jesus Christ. So practically speaking, Let's get really practical. What do we need to do to find our strength this semester and the grace that is ours through Jesus Christ? Well, for some of you, it's going to mean that you need to discover the grace of Jesus for the first time. Maybe that you haven't yet received 
that grace from Jesus because maybe you, you don't yet believe in God or, or believe in Jesus. That just seems too hard to, to have faith in God's existence. Or maybe you do believe in God, but you believe that God's acceptance and, and living in heaven with God, that's something you have to earn, you have to work for, you have to merit it. Well, we have really good news for you this morning. God does exist, and he's a God who loves you, who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for your sins and rise from the dead so that you don't have to try to earn his love. You don't try to have to earn heaven. It's a completely free gift that he offers to you. Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead so that you can have forgiveness and eternal life absolutely free. All you have to do is just say, yes, God, I want that. I want that gift. Please save me through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If there's anything keeping you from believing that, from trusting in Jesus as your Savior, please come talk to me or someone else here this morning. We would love to introduce you to the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. Now, for those of us who have received that grace, the the instruction for us, the goal for us this semester is each and every day, let us remember his grace. How do you find strength in the grace that you have through Jesus? Well, you meditate on it. You remember it. You reflect on what all Jesus has done for you. This idea of remember, it's a common theme in the Old Testament. Over and over again, God told his people, Israel, please remember what I have done for you. Remember my love. Remember that you are special to me. Do not let yourself forget all the good I've done for you. Because if you forget all the good that God has done, then that makes an easy excuse for sin. You gotta remember And so what we're talking about is the discipline. It's a habit of remembering the good that God has already given you. When you wake up in the morning, first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is you say, thank you for another day of life. I didn't earn this one. I didn't make life today. This is a gift. So thank you, God, for this gift. And you sit down for breakfast and you say, thank you. This is a gift. This provision is a gift from you, God. And then you go out into your day and at some point you're gonna sin. You're going to do something wrong, and that moment of sin is actually an opportunity to say thank you. Thank you, God, that you've already forgiven this one because Jesus died for it. And then you're going to go through your day, and something's going to go wrong. Somebody's going to let you down. Maybe you're going to let yourself down. You're going to feel discouraged, and that's your opportunity to say thank you, God, that this world is not my home. Yeah, I'm discouraged. That's not a surprise because this isn't the place where I'm going to be happy and satisfied. That's coming in the next life, so thank you, God that Jesus has earned heaven for me. And you go through the the day and at some point in the evening you're feeling lonely. You're, You're feeling abandoned by other people. That's when you give thanks. God, thank you that I'm never alone. Jesus lives in me. Your spirit lives in me. You are my father and I will spend eternity with you. And then you're going to bed at night and the last thing you do is right back to the beginning of the day, you say thank you. Thank you for another day that I did not earn. I did not deserve it. It was a gift. So you're practicing this discipline of giving thanks for all the good that Jesus has given you that will make you strong, that will fill you with confidence, with assurance, that will give you joy, that will give you peace if you learn to remember all the good that Jesus has done for you. Give thanks every day throughout the day for all the good Jesus has done. If we get to December and we look back and we see that we have been practicing this discipline, that we become grateful people who give thanks throughout the day for all the good Jesus has given us, let me tell you, this has been a successful semester for us. You learn the discipline of gratitude, of giving thanks, and it is a good fall for you. 
Okay, so that's God's first goal for us. Find strength in his grace by practicing remembrance, by practicing giving thanks for all that Jesus has given us. Second goal that God has for us this fall, be a link in the chain of faith. Look with me again in chapter two. Let's look at verse two. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, just so you know, the reason it says faithful men is because Timothy was a man. If it was a woman, it would say faithful women. This is for everybody, this command. Okay. The things which you have heard from me, it's a really broad phrase. Timothy and Paul spent years together. Timothy heard a lot of stuff from Paul. So, so when Paul says the things you've heard from me, what he's talking about is the whole of the Christian faith. All the beliefs and all the practices that go into this thing called Christianity, that's what Timothy had received from Paul that he was to pass on to other people. It includes really weighty stuff like the Trinity and really day-to-day stuff like how to have a good marriage, how to raise your kids, how to handle your money. All of that goes into Christianity. All the beliefs, all the practices of the Christian faith, Timothy was to entrust those things to other people who would entrust them to other people after them. Now, entrust, it means to deliver something valuable or precious to someone else for safekeeping. So you take something that's precious to you and you give it to someone else so they can pass it on. It's like an inheritance. Okay, here's an example. Something that's precious to me is Star Wars, the first trilogy, not, not one, two, three, but the, the trilogy released back in the 70s and 80s because I was a kid then. And so I live the release of those movies. When I think about what is a movie, I think about those movies because that's what defined movie making for me as a kid. I still remember the, the excitement that would build up before they re- would release the next one. So for me, at the top of my best movies ever list will always be the original Star Wars trilogy. So that's why I was so excited yesterday when I got home and I saw this. My twins, Luke and Gracie, dressed up as Leia and Luke. Okay, so Gracie's got buns in her hair and her lightsaber. Luke is wearing an R2-D2 shirt. He's got a lightsaber. I actually wanted to name the twins Luke and Leia when I found out that they were a boy and girl because how awesome is that? Julie said no. Shut that was just a little too far. But I did get one. I'm actually like really excited about that. I got one. I got Luke. And here's the best part of having a son named Luke is you can truthfully say, Luke, I am your father. And that is the best line ever. Julie actually got me a t-shirt with that on it, and I wear, I'm wearing it in the picture. I love that. So, so I love Star Wars, and I feel validated as a father because I have entrusted this precious thing to my children so that they now love it. They, they love Star Wars. They play it. They act it out. They talk about it. They build Legos. They watch it. It's awesome. We share that together. Okay, well, God is calling all of us to do this with something infinitely more precious, With the Christian faith, he's calling us to to entrust it, to take it and pass it on to the next generation. That's not just teaching. It's not just what I'm doing here, but it's it's training. It's life on life, one-on-one, mentoring, encouraging, discipling someone. You're coming beside someone younger in the faith and you are passing on to them all that you have learned about Christianity so that they can know it and own it and live it and pass it on to the next generation after you're gone. That's God's goal for your life, to be a link in the chain of faith. That's what Paul and Timothy both were. They were a link in the chain of faith. Okay, so from generation to generation, they passed on this Christian faith that never changes, this this Christian faith, Christian beliefs, Christian practices, they pass it on. So Paul passed on to Timothy and then Paul died. It was okay that Paul died because Timothy now had it. 
Then Timothy passed it on, and then he died. He died a long time ago. He passed it on to the next generation. They passed it on to the next generation. And here we are 2,000 years later, having received this blessing of Christianity, the beliefs and practices of our faith. We are a link in the chain, and the question is, will we be faithful to pass it on to the next generation? I don't know about you, but I sure don't want to be the link that breaks the chain. I don't want to be the weak link. If you ever repaired a bicycle or a chainsaw, you know the strength of the chain is dependent on the weakest link. That weakest link breaks, the whole chain breaks. I don't want that to be me. My mom and my dad, my, my youth pastor, Brian Fisher, our senior pastor, they've invested countless hours in my life raising me up, passing the Christian faith on to me. I now have it. I want to make sure that it doesn't die with me that I pass it on to you, to, to the staff, to the fellows here at the church, and most importantly to my kids. That's really the most important priority for me. For Julie and I, we define our success as parents whether or not we have been strong links in the chain. Have we taken what we have received of the Christian faith and passed it on to our kids? Now, we can't control whether our kids accept it. That's their choice before the Lord. But we can control whether we are strong links that take what we have received and pass it on to our kids. Parents, we cannot farm out that responsibility. That's with us. So you can partner with the church, you can partner with the school, but the church and the school, they cannot replace you. You are that essential link in the chain, passing on the Christian faith to your kids. So that as Psalm 145 talks about it, it says, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. That's what God wants of us this semester, that we would praise his mighty acts, that we would speak to our kids, to younger believers, to our roommates, to one another about how good God is, about all that God is, about all that he's done, that we would share that with one another so that the next generation can praise God and so that the next generation can train the next generation to praise God. That's how Christianity works. It's not about great preachers. It's not about great worship music. It's about a chain, an unbroken chain, one follower of Christ after another, receiving the Christian faith and passing it on to the next generation. Okay, so what does that look like for each of us? Well, very practically, what God is calling each of us to do first, we need to learn from others. You are somewhere in that chain, in the middle of the chain. You need to receive from those who are further down the road than you, older than you, more mature than you. You need to learn from them. You need to sit at their feet. Now, as long as you're alive, you can be learning. Okay, so you're learning more about the Christian faith. You're learning more about how to walk as a follower of Christ. You're learning more about how to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're learning all the time. Okay, so you're, you're learning how to follow God, and at the same time, you are investing in others. You're taking that which you are receiving and passing it down the chain to the next generation. All of you can be doing that. Even if you have just come into the Christian faith, you are a new believer, well, there's people who aren't yet believers. You can be passing on what you have to them. So that's what will define, that's the second part of what will define our success this fall. Have we each taken opportunities to be another strong link in the chain of faith. Learning from others and then investing in others. Okay, so I want you each to be looking for opportunities to do that this fall. In a little while, Trey Corey is gonna come up and and walk us through some opportunities here at Grace to plug in, connect with other people so that you can learn from others and invest in others. Especially wanna encourage you who are parents or grandparents. Your kids or grandkids are the primary links in the chain that you need to be investing in. So look for opportunities this semester 
to train them, to encourage them, to love on them, to pass on your faith to them. Okay, so that's God's second priority for our lives. We need to be a link in this chain of faith. Third and final goal that God has for us this semester. We need to endure hardship without losing hope. Look with me at verse three. Paul says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Hardship here isn't necessarily persecution. It's not just about the world persecuting Christians. Hardship here is just the normal, unavoidable hardships of life that that everybody experiences. Every person, whether you're a believer or unbeliever, no matter what country you live in, no matter how old you are, life is hard for you. That is an unavoidable part of life on this planet. It is hard. The Bible promised that in the book of Job 5-7, but man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward, as sure as sparks fly upward from a campfire, so guaranteed it is that your life will be full of hardships and suffering. As it says in Ecclesiastes 2, what does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Life is hard for everyone. And so how do you bear up well? How do you respond well to the unavoidable hardships of life? Well, it all comes down to having accurate expectations. That's what Paul's doing in this verse. He's framing Timothy's expectations. You see, if you expect life to be happy and easy, then when it's not, which it will not be, you're going to be angry and disappointed. But on the flip side, if you expect that life, this side of heaven, is going to be hard and full of sacrifice and suffering and disappointment, then when life gets hard, you're not going to be surprised. That's why Paul talks about the good soldier. Think about a soldier's life. Even if he's not out fighting a war, a soldier has to to go with that. He has to sacrifice all the normal comforts and pleasures of life, but he's okay with that. He knows his life is not going to be comfortable and leisurely because he's a soldier. He has the right expectations. And so when life is hard for him, he's not caught off guard because he knows I'm a soldier. Paul's saying, have that same expectation about your life. And then Paul's going to walk us through three metaphors, and the the main point of each of these metaphors is to to help us to learn to expect hardship in life, not just as followers of Christ, but for every person on this planet. Look at verse 4. He says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Paul walks us through three different people who live a hard life. The soldier has to go without the affairs of everyday life. That means the comforts, the pleasures that you are used to. Has to sacrifice those, give all those up. Well, he's a soldier. The, the athlete who's training. In Paul's day, Olympic athletes had to train every single day for 10 months before their event. If they missed even a single day of training, they were disqualified. It was done for them. Okay, so they have to give up every day off. They did not have weekends. They did not have leisure. They did not have comfort. For 10 months, they trained hard every day. The hardworking farmer, well, whether it's in the ancient world or today, farmers know life is hard. From planting until harvest, they're working as long as the sun is up. They can't take a vacation. They've got to be there with their growing crops to make sure that the harvest comes in. 
Paul wants us to understand life. He is framing our expectations. You should not expect a happy and easy life this side of heaven. That's not how it works for anyone. Life this side of heaven is the life of the soldier, the life of the athlete in training, the life of the hardworking farmer. It is full of sacrifice. It is full of hardship. The first key to enduring those hardships is to expect them. Now you know. When, when life gets hard, yep, that's how it works for everybody. But there's a second thing that Paul has for us, a second point that these metaphors make. Paul tells us the way to endure hardships is not just to know that hardships are coming. That's the first thing that's really important. But second, equally important, the way you endure these hardships is you cling to your hope in heaven. Each of these three metaphors references heaven. You don't necessarily see it there, but it does. The the one in verse 4, it talks about how the, the soldier who suffers well, the hardships of life, will please his commanding officer. Who's your commanding officer? It's Jesus. One day in heaven, you're going to stand in front of Jesus. Do you want him to smile at you? Suffer hardships well. Endure hardships. Don't run away into sin. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on life. And then when you stand before Jesus, he will say, well done, my son or my daughter. Okay, so that's the, verse 4. Verse 5 and verse 6, they both talk about a prize that you win. So the athlete who trains hard wins the prize. The farmer who works hard receives the first fruits. That's the best part of the harvest. What Paul is talking about is that in the end times, when we stand before Jesus in heaven, if we've been faithful in this life, if we've endured our sufferings well, then we will receive a prize, a reward from Jesus. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what Jesus is going to give you on that day. I know it includes honor. It includes joy. It's something so wonderful that all the hardships of this life will be completely forgotten in comparison. They'll pale by comparison. Jesus wants to honor you and and reward you when you stand before him in heaven. And the way that that works is that you endure hardships now. You don't earn heaven. Heaven is a gift. But once you're in heaven, if you want to receive honor from Jesus, if you want to please the heart of your Savior, then you need to cling to hope in heaven in this life. When life gets hard, when it's painful, unlike the rest of the world, we can have hope because we know this life is not all we get. Think about the world. The rest of the world out there, how do they deal with hardship? What do they do when they suffer? Well, they try to anesthetize it, right? They try to make the pain go away with entertainment or pleasure or possessions or pills, whatever it takes to drown out the pain. You don't have to do that. Because when your life gets hard, you know this life isn't all you get. You know my better life is coming. Yeah, this life is hard. Of course it is. It is for everybody. But the good news is for me, my best life is coming. My best life is the next one. That's when I get to be happy. That's when life is easy. When I'm with my Savior in heaven. When I'm home with him, then life is what I want it to be. That gives us hope to stand fast, even when this life gets hard. Okay, so December is coming quickly. When you get to December, how will you know if you've been successful this fall? Well, you think about these three goals. These are the big three. How do you know if you've been successful? Will you look back at your life? Have I been finding my strength in God's grace? Have I been reflecting and meditating on all the good that Jesus has done for me? Second, have I been a link in the chain of faith? Have I been learning from others and then passing that on to others? And then finally, third, have I stood fast? Have I endured under the hardships of life? Because first of all, I knew they were coming. And second of all, because I put my faith and my hope in heaven. My best life is coming. Now, all three of those goals are really hard. 
None of them come naturally to us. In fact, they're, they're so hard that they're actually impossible if you try to accomplish these goals on your own. If you, if you go out this semester, this fall, and you're trying to do these things, reach these goals on your own, you're going to fall. The only way that you can reach these goals is to gang together with others who are pursuing the same goals. You need to find a, a community of like-minded believers who are chasing after these things, who can support you and encourage you on the way. And so, like I said, I, I would like Trey Corey to come up, our college pastor. He's going to walk you through some of the specific opportunities to get connected here at Grace with a community of other people who are pursuing these goals with you. Wherever you go to find that community, whether it's here at Grace or in a campus organization here in the community, want to make sure that you're plugged in to that chain of faith. Awesome. Yeah, as Blake said, we think community is absolutely vital here. And I I think actually one of the most transformative communities is the kind of community that is diverse. And as you think about a local church, a kind of community that is multi-generational. And so one of the things that we are incredibly passionate about here at Grace, especially at our Southwood campus, is for students and families to be able to have an opportunity to connect. So we are a church that is composed of university students and families. And as all you students return back, it is an absolute joy for us to see you guys. And one of our great heartbeats, one of our great goals is to help you guys connect with families that are here at our local church. Now, if you want us to meet you at Target over the next two weeks, we're probably going to avoid it like the plague or Bed Bath & Beyond as you pillage those places. But beyond that, the next two weeks, we really want to do life with you guys. We really want to connect with you guys. And so there's a host of ways that you can do that. Uh, One is a program that we call Adopt an Aggie, that it is simply, especially for you guys that might be incoming freshmen, if you're looking for a home-cooked meal, looking for a family here that's away from your family at home, great opportunity to connect with a family as well. Uh, Also, Guff mentioned inviting the nations to the table, that there's a whole host of international students that have never been invited into a home. And so one of the things that we want to challenge you families to do is invite international students into your home. Simply just invite them to a meal. I think one of the easiest ways and one of the most strategic ways that we try to bring students and families together is what we do here at Southwood at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings beginning next week when we have 25 different couples that serve as table hosts uh, that help serve and lead discussion as we have a time of worship, a time of teaching, and then discussion at tables in terms of our college ministry. And so we have an op- awesome opportunity for you students, whether you're a freshman or whether you're a graduating senior, to weekly have an opportunity to sit down and connect with families. And we'd love for you to come check that out. We'll be doing that, kicking off next week at 11 o'clock in our fellowship wing. And the other opportunity I throw you guys for you graduating seniors as you're looking at the real world, career, finances, marriage, uh, is that we have a small group that we call Life After College. And it's a great opportunity for you graduating seniors to connect with some families that are here uh, that can help lead you through those topics as you're looking at the next phase. And so whether you're a student looking to participate in some of these or a family looking to serve and volunteer in some of these, if you'll simply go to our events page, you'll find this uh, banner and this info and have an opportunity to kind of sign up and participate in either of these. But there's so many great opportunities for you students as you're coming back to get plugged in that we would love to help you navigate that. Another opportunity uh, in terms of our fall kicking off is that this upcoming Sunday, August 30th, is our Grace Family Gathering. Uh, and so uh, it'll be 5.30 to 7 o'clock right here at Southwood next week. And we would love for you guys that are members to come be a part of that. It'll be a great time of fellowship, a, a great opportunity to hear what's going on in the life of our church, to hear a little bit about what's going on at Creekside, get an update, our third site that launched this morning. Uh, also have an opportunity to vote on three elders for our Mandarin church and what's going on in the life of that 
uh, cross-cultural body here in town as well. Uh, and for you families as well, as you guys have all returned from vacation, there's a whole host of opportunities uh, that are really uh, set up for you guys. Some of you guys may realize this, but we have a couple options on Sunday mornings that have Sunday morning electives at 9.15. Uh, we have a Life Builders class that's been going on for a while. Great opportunity to get connected in community. And we have a brand new class that we started this morning at 9.15. Uh, we call the Home Builders class. It's a great opportunity if you're parenting and wrestling with how to raise kids, wondering what in the world am I doing? Great spot to find community and to begin to wrestle through those topics. That's Sunday mornings at 9.15, also in our fellowship wing. A great opportunities on Sunday mornings for families to get involved. And then we have men's and women's Bible studies through the weeks. Uh, we have home groups as well. A whole host of opportunities to get plugged in. Uh, one of the things you can do is you can go online to find out more information or to sign up. But what we'd love to do, even before you go online, because there's so many questions you may have, that if you look in front of you, in the seat in front of you, you'll find a little Connect With Us card. Uh, whether you're a student who's here for the first Sunday ever, or whether you're a graduating senior who's been here a while but still has some questions, or whether you're a family, again, that's visiting for the first time this summer, or one that's been here for a while looking to finally still get connected in a new way, if you have some questions, we'd love for you to simply fill that out. Put your name, put your email, put your phone number, uh, and then let us know the kind of question or area that you're interested in, and we would love this week to follow up back with you. Uh, we're ending the service here this morning, and I want to have you have a chance that you can come up and talk to us, and we can help answer questions. We have a Get Connected table in the foyer to answer any questions as well, but if you'll just fill these out, uh, put it in the box as you leave, we'd love to follow up by a phone call as well as we kick off a new fall semester and to see what the Lord has. Let me pray for us, and we'll wrap up. Lord God, I thank you for your extravagant grace to us, and that you've given us what we don't deserve, Lord, that grace comes as unmerited favor because of the death of Jesus Christ. For some of us, Lord, I pray that you'd allow us to experience that grace for the first time and maybe enter into a relationship with you, maybe for the first time ever. Uh, Lord, I pray also for in the midst of a semester kicking off all kinds of hopes, dreams, all kinds of new things in so many of our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd allow us to realize that no matter the changes, that you're the same. And I pray that you would draw us closer to you this fall that we would experience your grace in a fresh way, that, Lord, that we would find community in a fresh way as well. I pray that in the midst of being a light in our workplaces, in our classrooms, in our neighborhoods, Lord, I pray that we would not walk out into those arenas alone, but that you would allow us to find, maybe in a fresh way that we've never found it before, a depth of community here in this local body. Help us to find those spots. Help us to find where you have a spot for us. And, Lord, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit, we pray. Amen. You guys have a great Sunday, and we'll see you guys next week. If you have questions about getting connected, let us know in the foyer or up here.